You've got a passion for the outdoors, a desire to feel the warm sun on your face, the sound of your fly line whipping through the air, the pop of the water as the fish inhales the fly you just found in the floorboard of your truck. You need to feel the cool waters on your feet, the crisp north breeze of a November morning, the sound of a turkey gobble, the December rut, the chills of an elk bugle in September. It's the longing passion to chase your obsession. This is what we share. This is what we preach. Welcome to Honey Hole Hangout. Welcome, welcome. What's up, everybody? Today we have Landon on the mic. We have Zach. Hello. And I guess I want to I want to take a sip and so I mute myself during the the room tone thing and then I forget to unmute myself this is like the third week in this the role you've rolled in straight into the show on mute and you know what? when I pushed the mute button I thought about it this time I was like it's happened twice in a row remember to unmute not today, today. <laughs> not today. No, no you just... get so captivated by the intro I do man I, I'm I was in it I was yeah. like oh man we feel so official now yeah yeah so we have Landon, we have Zach, Hello. we have Gabe, normal What's crew, up? you probably know all of us, and our guest today is Austin Alvarado, from who filmed parts of Deep in the Heart and works for Finn and Fur. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. So, yeah. And you guys have heard us talk about Deep in the Heart on the show if you've listened to some recent episodes, but today we're just going to deep dive into uh, the filming process, watching the animals... Um, how you're able to get some of the shots about Finn and Fur, about Deep in the Heart, and we're just going to deep dive into all of that and answer all the questions you guys have sent in and then the questions that we have. So Yeah, this is a week I'm excited about. I'm excited every week. Me too. I am too. I am too. <laughs> but like, I don't know, like a Texas documentary about wildlife. And Made by like, yeah, Texans right, for Texans. Yeah, right. Growing yeah. up, watching, you know, all the... You know, Discovery Channel and National Geographic. Just, I mean, I love a good documentary yeah. about nature. So. so, but first, before we get into all that good stuff, we have Summer of Mixing. Summer of Mixing. Yes, we do. Uh, Zach wanted to bring a high-class drink yeah, for a high-class podcast. I forgot we were going to talk about it, and I already drank mine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, I pushed record, and I was like, Gabe's empty. I, <laughs> yeah. I had a big lunch. I had a big lunch. So, so you're good. Uh, yeah, this is yeah. perfect. Yeah, so this week we have a Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So very similar to a, a, an old-fashioned. Um, the difference is instead of simple syrup, you get sweet vermouth to add that that sugary component. And it actually has more bitters in an Manhattan than there is in an old-fashioned. Um, so and what else is what, so what else uh, is an old, a Manhattan is two ounces of bur- rye. Or bourbon. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was a rye. It is a rye. Okay. You know, I'm not a big fan That's of okay. rye, so I put it's bourbons right. in there, right? Uh, so, two ounces of whiskey of your choice, one ounce vermouth. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, two to three dashes of traditional bitters, one to two dashes of orange bitters. Mm-hmm. You put that in a glass with ice, you mix it up. Now, to get- I, I will say, I saw you making it, and you had your Yeti cup doing it, and I from now on, that's why I want to do it. Dude, it's... Perfect. So yeah. put ice in your big Yeti cup, put all your stuff in there, mix it around, then put your lid on top and it becomes a perfect ice filter because then yeah. I poured it into these fancy plastic Manhattan cups because you can't <laughs> just drink it out of a regular Yeti no. cup. Yeah, I was like, I, did you save these from from uh, from New Year's? Is no, dude, <laughs> I yeah. went, when I went to Specs, I literally saw these. Oh, they like, comes off. 
Yeah, no, it, they're cheap. They, they, come <laughs> off, they come off in the base. So, yeah. I was, uh, I was intimidated singing these cups, and I was like, oh, it's plastic. It's plastic. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then uh, typically you, uh, you garnish it with a brandied cherry. So. so, dumb question. Where does the Manhattan come from? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't do my research on that. I know it was super popular in the early 1900s and then kind of fell out of favor. And uh, recently with like the bourbon renaissance and like the whiskey renaissance, it's kind of come back into into favor. So It was good. It started off, it was, you put a good mix in there. I can oh, taste yeah. it off the bat. But as you got to the bottom and as you got to the cherry, it was like dark chocolate, like mm. really, it finished off really this nice. This is my first Manhattan. It's very good. Yeah. Manhattan's arguably are one of my favorite drinks. Like, I love a good Manhattan. The cherry is a very nice touch yeah, as well. It is. Manhattan's one I order when I'm at a fancy bar and don't know what, what to, to order. order. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, no, it's a fancy drink. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, but as you like, can tell by the fancy plastic yeah. But UFO honestly, cups. like, it is just as fancy or simple as an old-fashioned. Yeah. Right. The only difference is instead of simple syrup or a sugar cube, you put vermouth. Mm-hmm. Sweet vermouth, yeah. specifically. And then we're all but fancy with these plastic martini glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, no, but I... I, I like good. it. It's I solid. love Manhattan. I drank it again. I'd order it, I'd order it at a bar. One right. Yeah. They, uh, Manhattans are great. Yeah. And it was still it still chilled. Like, even it was sitting here for about 10 minutes. Yeah. It was still chilled. I want to start doing that from now on, that shaking it in the Yeti. In the cup. Yeti, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, yeah. It was nice and cold. So. What would you think, Austin? Uh, it's refreshing as hell. Yeah. yeah. Shout out Yeti. Yeah. <laughs> that's right yeah well don't tell them that because then they're gonna make one and it's gonna be like four hundred dollars for a shaker yeah and they might still buy it or or they make a manhattan glass <laughs> yeah. oh for thirty dollars yeah. i'd buy that i do uh <laughs> i do a lot of river stuff um just paddling whether it's rafting canoeing whatever it is and yeti actually does do a good job of um advertising the different uses of yeti gear yeah. on a river trip one of which being a shaker on yeah a, on a river trip yeah yeah yeah, no, it would work perfect. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so what you do like a big one and a little one? Yeah, to make the shaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a thirty ounce and a twenty ounce. Yeah, so do fifty dollars worth of. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're when you're you know sixty miles into a river trip and you want to lay out a nice bar, the Yeti's always going to look nice. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I keep convincing my wife we just need to get rid of all of our glasses and just buy, just Yeti. buy Yeti stuff. Yeti yeah, product. yeah, it'll last forever, man. And have the most expensive collection. But put glasses. your name on it, because if I went over, I'd probably just take one. Take of the snack one. one, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I thought it was mine. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. So Austin, before we get into the film stuff, will you give us your background before you started working on films? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I've been out in the West Texas area of, well, in Terlingua, Texas specifically. Just over 10 years now. Um, these past few years, I've been super lucky to be involved in different films and, and working in film in general, mostly wildlife cinematography and uh, wildlife features and shorts and etc. cetera. Uh, so I've been traveling a lot these past few years. But before then, I was in Trilingua primarily. Um, for a while, I was uh, river guiding, and then I ended up managing an outfitter out in the Big Bend called Far Flung Outdoor Center. Greg and Belinda Hennington uh, gave me the opportunity, and, and via that route, Greg was a fire chief out in Big Ben and Terlingua, and, and he kind of got me involved in the um, firefighting aspect of, the, of, of all that, and that led me into just meeting incredible people out in the Big Ben, and, and I was kind of preaching earlier how Big <laughs> Ben is a region, not just a national park, right? And so where I'm at in Terlingua, we're right between the state park and the national park, and that's, so Big Ben Ranch State Park, Big Ben National Park, and then 
just east of the national park, we have Black Gap Wildlife Man- Wildlife Management Area. So it's roughly 1.5 million acres of protected land just on the border right there along the Rio. And roughly just over 260 miles of Rio Grande to our disposal. And I think a lot of people know Big Bend for different reasons, whether it's Chisos, the high mountains, whether it's the lowlands, um, and a couple of few canyons, but the Rio Grande being the lifeline of the Big Bend, that's that's kind of what got me drawn into into the region. The canyons there, uh, the Wild and Scenic Stretch, we have 191 miles of Wild and Scenic designated Rio Grande just in the Big Bend, which is amazing, uh, when just, just about 2% of the river mileage in the country is designated Wild and Scenic. Um, but anyways... I was out in the Big Ben having a good time, and here comes a guy by the name Ben Masters. Um, let's see, I was riding my bicycle with Heather Mackey and Manu. We were riding from, uh, let's see, Panther Junction, because I was living in the National, National Park at the time, and we rode our bikes into the basin, and we wanted to go grab a beer and then ride down during uh, the full moon. Well, we got up there, and the bar was closed. And we were super disappointed, and we were kind of kicking around, like, what do we do? Are we just riding down? Do we wait? Do we still ride the full moon? And here's this redheaded guy behind us looking at a camera with a cooler right next to him. And uh, I go, hey, man, what, what, what can we do to, to get a beer off of you? And he goes, well, tell me where some bears are at, and I'll give you some beer. And he didn't know that we were living in the park. Heather, who ended up being in a film that I was also a part of called The River and the Wall, we were both living in the National Park, and so we had some insight on where to find some bears. But anyways, that was kind of the serendipitous meet of uh, Ben and us, and uh, from that, we were involved with The River and the Wall, and then from there, I kind of just faked it till I made it and got into film, and now I'm lucky enough to call Ben a good friend and all these other mentors and... uh, cinematographers, friends, and teachers, and I've been riding the wave ever since. It's crazy how asking a guy for a beer completely changed your life. Man. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to ride to a bar. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you would be doing something different right now if you didn't ask a random guy <laughs> with a cooler full of beer for yeah. a beer, right? Yeah. yeah. And fun- funny enough, I, th- I want to say it was the very next day. I already had off, and we started talking, and he was telling us about what he was trying to do out there. He was trying to film a short on wildlife and in, in, in the big bend. And I was like, well, I can't really promise you we're going to see much, but I'm going to go do the river tomorrow for an overnight. I have some extra, I have an extra boat if you want to come along. And he did. And, uh, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say this, but we shotgunned a lot of beers. And from that experience, <laughs> yeah. we became really good buddies. Um, and, and, and that's really how it started. We became river buddies. he, he took a took a taking to the Rio Grande, which I always appreciate. I, I find that the Rio Grande is one of the most underappreciated rivers in the country, um, especially here in Texas where so many people see it as a border rather than a river, right? And out in the Big Bend, uh, you know, it's it's so much more than that. It's, it's the lifeline of the entire region and inside these 1,500, 2,000-foot-tall wall canyons. Um, there's a whole world... That is underappreciated, and, and I find so much um, like likeness to it in, in that it's you know misunderstood, a little rugged. Sometimes it's it's a little dirty, but you know what? That's that's part of its charm. Um, and there's different 
truth to different sections of the real, right? So what the Big Bend is and what the real Grand Valley is, it's, it's all still the real, but it's, it's different, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot to that. And so anyways, Ben really took a liking to it, and, and we became river buddies before anything else. So, yeah. That's awesome. Is, so, oh, so go ahead, Zach. I was going to say, so when you talk about West Texas, I can see, like, the passion on your face for it. Um, you, you aren't from West Texas. So why, like, what made you go out there in the first place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I uh, was born and raised in Austin, Austin from Austin. Uh, parents weren't too original there, <laughs> except I was the first person out of my entire family to be born here in the States. And so they named me after the city we were living in. Um, so my older brother's name is Minor uh, Estuardo Alvarado. Uh, my little brother is Ronaldo Enrique Alvarado. Uh, I'm Austin Jonathan Alvarado. Uh, <laughs> and so a little bit of a different take on my name there. But yeah, so I was born and raised in Austin and uh, went to A&M. Uh, in College Station, and then after college, well, I had worked on a cruise ship in the Mediterranean during a summer in college, and then I was uh, doing some river guiding during some summers in college as well, and then after college, I wasn't quite ready to get a real job, so I decided to go out there for a season, out to Big Bend for a season, uh, and that season has now become 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing is you never, I never knew how important a community was to me until I was a part of one. For for so much of that time in my life, I was attracted to the to the traveling, to the dirt bag, and to just getting by and you know making making a good time out of anything. And I did that. Um, but yeah, Terlingua, it's it, it's not the friendliest place. It's a hard place to live, but that bond of understanding that everyone out there is making a work. That, that brings a lot to the table, especially when, when you find yourself in, in a place where you're not really sure of anything, um, but you, you're sure that you love that place. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's, that's Terlingua. What did you study in college? Uh, RPTS, Recreation, Parks, and Tourism Science. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that was a major. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's just amazing to hear someone talk so passionately about a region of Texas. Yeah. You know, I think we can all talk passionately about Texas, but yeah. to have a specific area and and to to genuinely see how how you light up speaking to it, yeah. I think is awesome. Yeah. Cuz I I, cool. I love West Texas. Like something about being like Alpine, Big Bend, like that whole area just like I don't know. And like New Mexico to some extent as well. Yeah. Um, you see, and I have family from El Paso, so we were driving up. We would drive up that whole area, and right. it just becomes – you see those transitions, growing up and seeing those transitions, and even now just seeing those. And, and you could see how you could romanticize that area. For sure. Even though it's rugged, you know, you're, you're going to die if you don't have water walking by. I mean, it is – you know, a tough place. And, and and I think that's part of the bond out there is it is easily romanticized, but it's not an easy place to live. So, so many times people go out there with this fantasy and boy, are they checked real quick. Yeah. And, and for me, from my experience out there, you know, it, it took a couple of years to really feel part of it, but it, it took me wanting to be there period that, that I think kind of welcomed myself into that community. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's amazing to look at. It's an amazing experience. And it is amazing to live there. Um, 
And again, these past few years, I've been traveling for work nonstop, and I've been very lucky to do so. So I've been uh, feeling this draw of, of, of I'm super privileged to be doing what I'm doing, but I also miss home to an extent, yeah. you know? How so. often do you go um, back out to, to uh, Trilingua? Man, this year it's been nonstop working, so yeah. I, I, it's been a handful of times. Really? Um, yeah. My roommate, Patrick Thrash, who, I, who uh, was also part of Deep in the Heart with us, and, and um, we work a lot together, uh, he's just bought some property out there, so he's been going out a bit more. But Trilingua's been blown up. Things are getting expensive, and, um, you know, the hope and the dream is still to buy a property out there because I'm still renting and leasing. I, I'm set on my lease. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but it would be nice to, you know, to, to get on board with all the, all the expansion going on. Yeah, because I feel like Marfa was, like, the first city to kind of, like, pop, and, like, artists were moving out there, and it was growing. And, yeah. And now people are kind of taking that same mentality from there and taking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, Marfa... Marfa's so different in that it, it has its own it, it, it kind of ecosystem just right there, yeah. right? And in Trilingua, the big draw is the public land. Yeah. Now, more so than ever, people are finding the draw to the public land and wanting to move out there, but, that, but, but, but for some, that's not enough. And so there is kind of a building on that, right? So there is, there, it's always been an artist community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, people out there to have their space, right? right. Uh, but over the, I, I want to say over the past five years, really, you've really seen the the growth of a kind of a central community. Right. Um, you've always been able to go to the Starlight, have a beer, and hang out at the porch. But now more than ever, you kind of see these hubs and these little um, pop-ups happening here and there. But Yeah, I've been to the Starlight. It's fantastic. It's awesome. I had the antelope there. It's a good time. It was time. like the best meal of my life. I still remember it. <laughs> yeah, like, I wish I could go right really? now and have antelope for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Chicken fried antelope, I think, is what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was so good. It's good. Yeah. And their yeah. drinks are great, and they had a live music there. and That menu's changed, I think, once in the past 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And even then, it wasn't even a change. It was just, it like, I think they added a chicken sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> In addition, yeah. 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 Um, so, let's talk about how did the idea for Deep in the Heart start? Yeah. And then, how long was that process to get it in motion? And then just talk, walk us through from the idea, just the timeline from the idea to we're out in theaters. Yeah, so I want to start by saying I've been super lucky with Deep in the Heart to be a part of a lot of it, most of it, um, throughout the entire process. Um, but it took such a massive team. Well, I say massive, massive is, is relative. It, it took a team to make it all happen. But really, this is this is the fruition of of Ben Masters, um, really taking it upon himself to to take the risk, right? And so, I remember being around these conversations and, and talking with Ben, Ben talking with Skip, Skip Hobby being the director of photography for the film, talking with Jay Clayberg, the producer, talking with um, Katie Baltic and the producer. Um, pretty soon after the River and the Wall, talking about w- what it would be like. When did the River and the Wall come out? Uh, was it three years ago? Yeah, I want to. I want to say twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. So it's pretty much as soon as that was done. Twenty eighteen. The idea started. Yeah, yeah. As soon as soon as that was, I, even during during the, the the trip. So for those who don't know, the river and the wall. We did a expedition along the border of Texas and Mexico, uh, where we mountain biked 
uh, rode horses and paddled the entire length of the border. And it was five individuals, including myself, uh, who, who did the entire trip together and Ben as well. Um, but anyways, I, I remember having discussions even, even during the trip about how deserving Texas was of, of this wildlife film dedicated to the state. Uh, and then afterwards I was quick to try to fake it till I made it. So I was quick to jump on location scouting for films on, um, camera assisting for films on any position that was uh, on PAing for films, anything that could come up, whether it's commercials, movies, uh, feature, whatever it was, I, I wanted to gain whatever access I had to that experience. And eventually I, I, I was able to get on board, um, with, uh, with a number of things from car commercials to a PBS. Is this, uh, and these are things that Finn and Fur was doing or you were picking up jobs for other people? I was picking up jobs for other people. Yeah. Yeah. That was just, just going through grabbing anything you could just to get the experience and learn the tricks of the exactly, industry. Exactly. Exactly. And via all that, you know, after the rim and the wall, you know, Ben and I became great friends. Even before that, uh, Ben and I became great friends, but we, um, we always kept in touch and, and we were always talking and discussing. And again, he was approaching all these different people about what, how deserving Texas was of, of a wildlife film, of a blue chip film. And whenever it, it, it began, whenever the process started becoming real, um, Ben reached out and, and basically just asked me if I was ready. And I ignorantly said yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but it worked out, and, and through that experience, um, you know, th- there were a lot of things that had to work out for it to happen. Um, you know, it was during a pandemic, so access was one thing, traveling was another thing. Um, obviously, people's health was one thing. Uh, budget, you know, th- everyone felt the pandemic hit, including us, and fortunately, this was a, a contribution from Texans for Texans, as we talked about earlier. And we, I mean, no one blinked an eye at, at taking a pay cut at not getting paid at whatever it took to get it done. No one blinked. Um, I remember ta- Ben approaching me about it. I was like, stop, like that. We don't even have to talk about this. Like it's, it's done. Um, and I think, I think that above anything else, I'm immensely proud of, cause you know what? We, we worked our asses off to get it done um, there's a lot of long sits, a lot of long hikes, a lot of bug bites, a lot of <laughs> damn ticks. Um, but, it, but it was all from a place of, it just mattered, right? We, 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 as Texans, we know how much we love this place. We love this home and we know how, how deserving it is, uh, t- for, for the rest of the world to know. Um, and, and, and it really showed through the process. Yeah. yeah. So what was your, what was the great, this was a listener question. Uh, what was the greatest part about working on the film? I mean, working with the team, everyone, yeah, everyone loved, <laughs> yeah. loved what we were doing and everyone works as hard as we play. Um, but as far as if, if we're talking about a specific shoot, a specific yeah, sequence. What, what, what was your favorite shoot? Yeah. Um, let's see. Big Ben being home, of course. The bear sequence, Ben and I uh, had, and, and Brian as well, um, 
had, but Ben and I kind of started the push with that. And then Ryan and, and, and Thrash uh, uh, helped finish it off. But that was, that was a big coming home. We, we spent a year and a half of traveling all over the state from the Panhandle for Bison to the coast for Gators and, and um, Reds to uh, Central Texas for Bass, you know, South Texas for Ocelot. And, and all of it deserves a high point to be talked about. But the Bears was towards the end of it all, and it was a really coming home, and, and, and it was a good roundabout things to finish it all. It was one of the last sequences we filmed, and it was also the beginning of filming for another um, project, which I'm not sure if I'm supposed to talk about yet, but that should be coming <laughs> out later uh, later this year. Um but yeah, so so the be- the the, the bear sequence after this year and a half process of ups and downs of you know filming everything we wanted to film after all the long sits, um, it was hiking up mountains and chasing bears, and that's something I was very familiar with from the you know even before filming. So yeah, um, how much raw footage do you have to film to end up with an hour and a half movie? Oh man. Do you have any idea, like how many hours of raw footage there is? Oh, I, I mean, I, I to, would to nick it down to, yeah, ninety I, minutes. I, I'm almost scared to to throw out a guess because I I feel like I would underball it. So I would say a thousand hours to an hour. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 tough to say. I mean, it was a year and a half of constant filming, and even if we weren't filming, we had cinematic camera traps constantly filming right right so something was always constantly bringing in more footage right well, for a year. some of the stuff you're doing that are so elusive you don't see them that you, yeah oh you well yeah it. that's a good that's point crazy. let's let's talk about the ocelots yeah because i know about ocelots and know yeah. that they live in places that basically humans can't go it's like very thick heavy brush is like what they call home and it would be extremely tough for someone to hike in there with a camera. It seemed like to me from watching the film, like you said, that they were camera traps, that yeah. you guys had cameras set up constantly filming. Yeah. Um, so talk about filming the ocelots a little bit. Yeah, the ocelots, you know, when we started the ocelot uh, filming, time and time again, people said, you're not going to get any daytime footage, and you're going to be lucky to get on ocelots, period, even during the night. So... Things were not in our favor. And we thought, you know, if we get a shot here, a shot a shot there, we can make something happen, right? We, Ben can write something in, and there can be stats, and there can be writing. You know, it can come together somehow if we just get five shots maybe. We'll fast forward a year and a half, even afterwards, because we continued on for another project. The Ocelots became a big focus for, for, a, for a project after filming for Deep in the Heart. You know, we had two and a half, three years of, of camera trap and ocelots, and there's hours of daytime footage. Hours. Mind you, each each clip might be 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, and I'm talking hours of ocelot footage in the daytime. And not only do we have hours of footage, we have hours of honing in on individual ocelots, right? So the East Foundation, don't know if I'm supposed to mention them, but landowners down in South Texas have been immensely generous with giving us access. Um, the uh, Caesar Clayburg Research, Research Institute had been 
immensely generous with the inf- information of, of, the, of all of their studies, of all of their research. And, you know, we were working with the best of the best to come in and really hone in. And it really only, sp- it speaks to how hard they work in their research uh, on what we're able to get, right? If, if we had no information going in, and yeah. we, if we had no data, if we had no points, we would have, I mean, we would have blown it. We would have not yeah. known anything. Shot that's, in the dark. Exactly. And that's a beautiful thing of wildlife, wildlife cinematography. <laughs> Your best success is working with the best people, working day in day out with that with that animal, right? And that's what we did. So yeah, so we used T sheds for the process, which are cinematic camera traps. And uh, well, let me rewind that. So we work with the with the with the scientists, with the researchers. They give us data, kind of a concept, an idea of of where we have our best chances. From there, we use. Um, kind of your classic browning, reconics, uh, camera traps. So, you know, things you find on ranches. So how do the camera traps trail work? Trail cams. Trail cams. Yeah, trail oh, okay. cams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Trail cams. Yes, yeah, so we use those. Motion activated. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, these are pretty basic, you know, most ranchers, most most land a- owners have have a couple of, of these um, um, cameras around their land right. to see what's going on. And we use those mostly to gather data data um you know we we use those to see if we can hone in on where they're going where they're coming from how many are they there at all the same thing the same thing that a hunter would use yeah if they're hunting whitetail exactly you know exactly. to watch animals and gather information okay they like to come by here at a certain time during the day so if i'm gonna yeah. hunt you know yeah. they kind of like map out their hunting process exactly by using exactly exactly yeah. the only difference is rather than just leaving one up you know for a few months to see what's coming in what's coming out and going off of that we're checking those research camera traps every two weeks and moving the 30 or 50 moving constantly moving around to really start honing in so we're just being a lot more interactive with these cameras. Yeah, guys, right? so you guys are going out every other week, checking the the footage you guys are getting, and right. then kind of rehoning all of those cameras closer and closer until you can kind of get the perfect yeah, area it, that they're at. And and that's that's after a certain point. At first, yeah, we we put out. I think now, Fit and Fur probably owns. I, know, I would guess seventy of these research camp Browning Reconics. Uh, but at the time we were probably working with 30 to 40. Um, and at first, yeah, we leave them out for maybe a month yeah. and then we go in a bit more, you know, maybe two weeks after that and then a week after that and then really start working it in, you know, gotcha. really start moving them around and, and figuring it out. And then once we have a concept, cause it might not be true. Once we have something to go off of like, okay, every two weeks they do come via this path. Every month they like to use this water hole. Every week, they like to play or hunt in this spot. Once we gain these patterns, because that's what wildlife cinematography is, is is honing on behavior. It's not enough to just take a pretty image of, of an animal. It's about behavior. And once we have an idea of that, we set up our cinematic camera traps, which we were using T-sheds, uh, which is a guy by the name Nick Turner out of the UK. Uh, custom builds them. And at the time, I think we had number, I want to see number like 40 to, to 55. I think we had some of the earliest tea sheds in the world. So what, explain what a tea shed is. So the tea shed is a cinematic camera trap. And, and what it is, is you have a Pelican box, right? Just a basic run of the mill Pelican box. Uh-huh. And it's, it's engineered to have a camera inside. And the cameras we were using were uh, Panasonic GH5s, uh, pretty standard DSLR camera. Um, 
It does really well in low light, which is why we're using those. Mm -hmm. And then it has inside a built-in system that that tells the camera to turn on, to film, for how long, uh, for what time of the day. Uh, and that is set off by these triggers that we set up where we believe the animals are, are, are going through via so, game pass. So is it still motion trigger at that point? Yes, it's okay. still motion trigger, just the triggers are no longer external. I'm uh -huh. assuming, excuse internal. me, no longer internal. They're external, exactly. That's a T-shirt. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so it is just like a big Pelican box. With yeah. The, but it's it's wide and not tall like most, right. you know, right. uh, motion cameras. So we and can you put, guys could the camouflage them up and hide them. So. When we had to. Yeah. Turns out, <laughs> ocelots love our t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what, what would it be? Just because they could smell fingerprints or f you know, stuff? Or? You know, after a while, one of the most impressive, important things of camera trap and these, these ocelots is we got kittens, right? Okay, yeah. So we, we were able to get on these kittens very early on in their lives, which means they know, they know no different. You know, they don't know that T-shirt's not supposed to be there. It is supposed to be there. Mom might be a little wary, but they're kittens. You know, how are we with kittens as kids? You know, we're curious about anything. We're going to get into any hole, any tree, and we're just not going to think twice about it. So that same sort of attitude, uh, yeah, they were just curious. And, and quickly they were marking our T-shirts, which means <laughs> peeing on, on the T-shirts. You know, it, it was their way of, of scenting and marking and saying, this is mine, this is where I've been. And for the next guy to come around and be like, oh, this is, you know, so-and-so. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we, we got lucky in that in that aspect. And it's also an individual-to-individual -individual, uh, circumstance. So there's plenty of ocelots where they weren't okay with it. They, they would kind of be, you, you could see them kind of pop up behind the brush, and this is deep South Texas brush, so I haven't even talked about how we got these cameras there. Yeah, because like I said, they yeah. like place it like... Yeah, it's it's it's, it's not as simple as just... It's not just a putting, trail Yeah, yeah, putting yeah. We are on all fours, crawling on our, you know, on our bellies, ticks. I mean, it, w it was not a rare day to pull out 50 ticks out of you, and you're crawling, you're getting cut up. Um, I have long hair to always get pulled off of me. Um, you know, this is... This is a trip to get into these small spaces. So I did have a question about this. Um, so are you guys like wearing just whatever are you guys in camo? Are you guys doing the the um, like the smell remover, all that kind of stuff? Are you guys using all of that? Or are you guys just kind of going in with like what you're wearing now? Well, definitely. I mean, if you've been to South Texas, you know everything out there is trying to cut you trying and make it. You. Yeah, <laughs> trying to kill you. So we're we're. we're Try to be pretty good about, you know, dressing up accordingly. So long, long pieces of clothing and jeans and snake boots when you got them. Um, but even when you try your best to, to cover up, you're, you're going to get caught up yeah. pretty good. Uh, and it's funny, if, if you were to take photos of us from the very beginning to fast forward two years, you know, at first we would kind of joke with her, like, who would ever bring knee pads into the field or who would wear gloves <laughs> into the field, right? And you see our just happy-go-lucky guys, you'd be like, yeah, let's go in. And we come out with thorns coming out everywhere. Fast forward two years and we're covered up. I mean, we look like SWAT going into those places. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we would try to cover up pretty good. Uh, but ticks, ticks will, will find a way find to get on you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess the gold, the gold, the ocelot golden question is, what happened to the kitten that died? Is it coyote? Does anybody know? We don't know. We don't know. Mm -hmm. um, the beautiful thing is we we got on kittens again after that. Mm. Um, so it it's it's to be expected to a point, right? Yeah. You know that that is part of 
well, it's a part of a lot of things. It's also a part of, of what we have created. And in, 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 when I say we, I mean people. And in, in the reason that ocelots only exist in a certain part, a certain part of Texas, in the U.S., I should, uh, I should say, is that we've we've cut them off, right? So there's man-made structure, there's population, there's growth uh, amongst people, and, and that that brings energy, that brings highways, that brings um, all the above. And and so we have made not just them but other wildlife pretty concentrated in certain spots. And not to say that they don't come across cat, you know, kittens. Are, are super vulnerable, right? Like, it's not to say it wouldn't happen already, but it's just that much more devastating whenever a kitten goes away because that is a bigger part of the population now, right? Those two kittens might have been 1% of the population. Who knows? Um, but anyways, we we don't really know what happened to him, but we know he or she didn't, you know, last. And, and there, was, there was another set of kittens, another pair of kittens that came after, so... Like it keeps moving forward. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, did you guys have to go and like check the footage? I know like game cameras now, like you can get like photos like sent to your phone. There may not be service out there, but do you guys are you guys having to physically go out and constantly check the footage and pull the cards and replace them and change batteries and yeah and all yeah. of that. Yeah. So so part of why these tea sheds were so essential to filming and why we still use them now. Um, and other different type of cinematic camera traps is that they, they record big files. They record 4K, you know, nowadays up to 8K, yeah. really high def sort of stuff, you know, and, and those those require big files. So, yeah, it, it did it did involve us going in quite a bit. And apart from that, battery life to run those things, you know, we're lucky now. Now there's other cinematic camera traps known as Cognices. I don't want to make a rift between the different <laughs> brands, but there's other cameras that that run longer on different batteries um and so we're able to hold out a little bit more but it's still a constant checking maintenance and and apart from having to check for batteries and and switching out cards the thing about t or any sort of camera trapping is things always go wrong right you can set it up perfectly and something will go wrong whether it's the weather whether it's animal knocking it over whether it's um it fogging up on the inside somehow, uh, whatever it may be, things go wrong. And so it does require a level of maintenance, right? And so we're kind of lucky that, that we're required to go in and check ever so often because that does allow us to, to maintain them. How often are you guys going in and checking on them? Uh, every 10 to 10 days, two weeks. Okay. Yeah. And, um, so there's no self charging batteries or anything like that, like no solar or anything like that. We tried solar. Um, we tried converting uh-huh. some of them to solar. You you might have a cloudy day, and that might kill the whole thing. Really? You know? Yeah. You're yeah, solely relying on that. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. I, I got to imagine they're shooting in such high quality that you suck up so much battery, and then the right. brush amount of brush that you're in, you can't get that direct and the, sunlight. And the thing, right? Exactly. And 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 we've camera trapped for other animals as well, from bears to mountain lions. Um, Bighorn sheep, I can't think about it, but we've we've done other animals as well, and so different circumstances do involve different situations. Right, know. so like maybe it's a little different, but yeah, yeah, given the situation. But even us. then, you know, if you have one cloudy day, we have found that it's it's hard to to restart a system when it's down to dead. It's one thing to be really low, right, and then have 
sun come the next day and then it's able to kind of but but if it yeah but if it goes to dead you're 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 basically done done. you're you're done yeah yeah so let's uh zach what was one of your favorite uh, let me ask you this before we move into that what was your like favorite moment in the film to capture that you were like right after you captured you're like yes this is this is it this is the moment you know, what was that for you in this film? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and I would say that you were physically filming, not like the Ossots where you're yeah, checking the yeah, footage. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. that, that was good. Yeah. I had a question as yeah. far as like. Yeah, I mean, that sure could be pretty exciting and surprising. Where we're oh, like, yeah. Oh, camera yeah, trapping. Yeah. I love camera. Camera trapping is, is Christmas, man. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're just going through it and like you find that little. Yeah, and, you, and you know, it, it, I think the concept is so easy. You know, you think you're just going out there and put it out. But you, you got to consider you're. It takes months to know where to set it up. Right. It takes a full day to set, you know, a few up, and then things can go wrong time and time again. And it might take another two months to finally get it figured out. And then when you get that one shot, you know, it's, it makes all the work. It, it makes yeah. It's like the gold digging shows. It's just like okay, <laughs> like we got here, all right, we got it. We, yeah. Oh man, it's in. You know, we sifted it out. It's here. All right. Yeah. Let's let's, yeah. Keep, let's dig now. You know, we yeah. found that spot. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, but as far as filming specifically, it ended up not being a, as big of a sequence as it was intended to be. But we spent quite a bit of time uh, out on the coast on uh, the high islands, um, which are a set of islands that are created out uh, near the coast. But we were there to film gators um, trying to eat birds, you know, whether it was spoonbills, whether it's egrets, um, herons. And the shot made the film where the gator creeps up. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. yeah. gets the uh, the heron, right? It was a or uh, great egret. Yeah, it was a great egret yeah. that tripped up, and it, it comes up and and grabs it and pulls it down, right? And 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 it's kind of a quick. And I have nothing against it. It it wasn't worth an entire sequence, um, but that moment specifically to me. That was, let's see, the first time, I think it was just over two weeks of getting eaten up by mosquitoes. These gators, turns out gators do a whole lot of nothing. (laughs) 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 They're really good at just chilling. Um, And not to mention, there were a lot of, I don't know if you guys know what civil site is. So a lot of times, um, these migrating birds into the high islands, um, they will uh, have... You know their their tricks, right? And and a lot of times they'll have multiple, knowing that these siblings will kill off one another because they only can support so many, and so they'll let it happen. So it's a pretty gruesome thing. The so you're keeping side. the strongest of the brood alive, right? And so there's plenty of dead birds on on the ground, and these you know gators are going up and just easily eating these dead birds. Which isn't exi- as, as as exciting as eating a live one, right? Mm-hmm. And so seeing this happen, you go, "Well, why would they ever go after a live bird?" Yeah. You know, what Do they have free <laughs> free meals. buffet yeah. all day long. Yeah. 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 Um. So there was it was two weeks of just getting eaten up by mosquitoes. It was super hot. Um. Which you know it, it is part of it, but. You get so close every time where you see a gator come up to the, come up to one of them just and just they will hurry up to them and just sit there for hours and hours and hours and then nothing happens. 
<laughs> and and we leave, and I think I go, I think I, I think I, I, it was two weeks of that, and then I went back to South Texas to check camera traps, and I think I went to West Texas to check other camera traps. I, I drove around for a long time, and then came back, and then, and, and I'm doing this with Skip Hobby, the director of photography, who is a great friend, a great mentor, um, great teacher. He's he's an incredible human being. Shout out Skip Hobby. But even he, you know, you could tell is 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 just kind of what the hell? Like they they are just not doing much. Um, And so at this point, when we go back, I think we're we're going back for maybe eight days. And on the eighth day, uh, we're switch. At this point, we 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 tell ourselves it's it's not worth all both of us being there. You know, from sun up to sundown, we might as well take turns, uh, and he had gone to lunch, and I'm sitting on this gator, and yet I'd seen it, you know, I'd seen it plenty of times, this gator's not going to do anything, and sure enough, you know, sure enough, it goes up, grabs it, pulls it down, what you don't see is, later on, it comes up, and it throws it up, and chomps at it, and you just see this real life hardcore metal gator just going <laughs> to town, and I'm and I'm shaking, I, and I'm just out of I, I'm, you know, you, you spend all this time thinking it's not going to happen. All of a sudden, it happens, and the and, and, and one of one of the things about cinematography is you got to be ready, right? Like this is your one chance. We we've gone over three weeks now trying to get this one shot, and it's happening. Don't mess it up, right? And it's so easy to mess it up when your adrenaline is pumping and you've been waiting for so long. Uh, and thankfully, I didn't mess it up, but I was just shaking out of, out of the adrenaline going on. And after it finally finished, I, I, I felt like I finally took a breath. I, I, I felt, felt as if I hadn't been breathing for probably 10 minutes, and I finally took a breath. And I, when it was happening, I was filming slash also texting Skip, like, hey, it's happening, come on. And, he's, and he finally made it. Of course, he makes it after it's already done. Yeah. And he shows up to me just looking out, just shaking at what had just happened. And I'm just looking at him, <laughs> smiling from, from ear to ear. And he's like, dude, I go, I know. <laughs> oh man, it was it was awesome. No, I mean, there's a lot of sequences in this movie where you're just like, oh man, like here we go, so suspenseful. You yeah. know, you're, you know, I was in the middle of doing stuff while watching it, and there were several times where like I like snapped myself out of like, hey, you gotta yeah. you gotta finish this stuff while you're watching this, yeah. but you're just dead eye like, oh my, you know, is this gonna happen? Is that gonna happen? And you know, I don't want to give away too much stuff, but yeah. That's dude. It's, yeah. So, were you guys like sitting up on a shoreline or something, just like had cameras out, cameras rolling, ready to go, and just waiting for the moment? Like, what's the setup for like physically filming a scene? Yeah. So there was so for this specifically, there was an island, and it was I don't know maybe. What do you think it is from here to your fence line? Twenty yards. Yeah, 20, 30 yards. Yeah, so 20, 30 yards away is is the island, and there's alligators swimming back and forth between us and them. And sometimes they get pretty close to us, um, but you quickly just find that they, again, aren't doing much, so they can come (laughs) up to you and just wait there for hours. Um, But, yeah, we're on the shoreline. You always try to be eye level with whatever's happening. It it makes it feel a lot more intimate, and so we're doing our best to be eye level with with, – the shore across and and depending on how low you can get where they're laying down or we're sitting there and just waiting yeah and all kinds of gators passing through so you guys are constantly watching like is this gator gonna do so oh a bird landed over there yeah Maybe we need to get ready and yeah 
just kind of constantly like readjusting and just yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. you try to you try to do your best to be ready for it to happen right so a lot of times you you you'd like to set it up where it's going to happen come to you but yeah there were some times we were chasing moving across the shoreline and setting up there getting ready for that and then it's not happening and then you come across set up at the shoreline so yeah a lot of moving around so so like okay so you have like a gator you know on the other side the other bank of the island you're set up with all your gear. What are you doing in that moment while you're just kind of, are you just kind of like taking it in? Do you have binoculars or like a monocular that you're kind of taking everything in? Are you looking through the camera? I mean, if, if we were filming up in the mountains and, you know, we're filming bears and yeah, we're, we're glassed into the mountains yeah. and, and then we make moves when we're, when we're ready to make a move. Uh, but in this situation with the gator, everything's so close to you. You, you have a pretty good You're kind idea. of taking it all in. Yeah, right you're taking it all in. Um, we're shooting everything on our reds, so our, our cameras, red cameras, are ready to go. Um, and, you know, once once you kind of check off the marks, you have your tripod balance, you have your camera at the frame rate you want it, you have your exposure set, you have... And, and you're checking all these constantly, right? Because, right. you know, exposure changes, framing changes, mo- animals move. So you're constantly giving it a check. Um, so you're always kind of at a swivel, coming back to it, looking back at it, coming back to it, looking back at the animal. Now, what type of cameras are you filming on when you're physically filming? Because I know you mentioned the the boxes for the ocelots. The red, the red, yeah, right? The red, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so we filmed. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah. that. Yeah, we were, we, we were super lucky. And you know what? Rightfully so. The, the, the state of Texas deserved everything to film to be filmed. Top-notch, yeah. Top-notch cameras. And, yeah, so we were filming with the red cameras, um, which are Top great cameras. <laughs> yeah, great cameras. Um, we had a number of them. Um, Gemini's are, are a really amazing dual ISO um, camera, and so it can do well at, at low light. Does that light. have two sensors? Yeah, yeah, really? yeah, That's yeah, cool. yeah. So you have your standard, and then you switch it over to low light, and then you have your kind of next set of ISO um, That's awesome. I didn't dynamics. know yeah. I could do that. Yeah, yeah, the Gemini specifically. Yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, yeah Gemini. It's called the Gemini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, to be able to, to 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 do all that stuff like you're saying, and and to be able to jump between the two is is an awesome ability. I mean, I I tried to take a video this weekend of landing <laughs> a fish on a on a point and shoot, and it went bad quick, yeah. bad real, so it, real quick, real quick, trying <laughs> yeah. to do everything at once. Yeah, you know, so yeah, kudos for for just the work. I don't, and I think that's the thing. You you know, we get to see the end product. And how awesome and stunning, you know, stunning and, and beautiful as, as that film was. You know every bit of blood, sweat, hair being ripped out, ticks and everything. So I could understand from your point of view how much of, of a baby it is for you. Yeah. Or yeah. any other project. Well, you and that just do. goes to what we constantly talk about. Yeah. People put on Instagram, social media, final product. I caught this nice fish. I shot this elk. But you didn't see the two weeks of glassing for the elk, the constant waiting changes, missed opportunities, all this, that, and the other to actually like make it complete. And again, three weeks of filming one 30 second scene. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. to see for the final product. And I think it's good to talk about that. Cause I think people get into hunting, fishing, whatever, with the expectation of, I'm going to go catch this huge trout. I'm going to go like catch a ton of redfish, Guadalupe bass, whatever. And there is, like we've talked about, fly fishing for trout on the Guadalupe. It took tons of trips for me to go out before I even caught one fish. And there's so much work that goes on the front end. And I think people 
are like, I'm going to start fly fishing in the first, you know, it's just, you're immediately going to be successful in what you're doing. But there's a lot of work on the front end that you have to put in right. to be successful on the back end. And so kind of jumping off that, what you were mentioning earlier, like you said you were there. Did you know that that was a shot you guys were looking for? Like, do you guys talk about beforehand, like, hey, we're going to go film some gators. We're looking specifically for a gator to take a live bird. Yes. Or, okay. So you guys yeah, yeah, yeah. actually planned that part out like, hey. Yeah, there, there's a lot There's a lot already predetermined. In what and is that like for. storyboarding? Yes. I'm yeah. not like yeah. super familiar with the, like the whole yeah. filmmaking process, but I know like storyboarding where you like, before yeah. you guys even start shooting, this is kind of like maybe a timeline exactly. for yeah. the I, film and shots that yeah. we would like to have because for I, the end product. I, it, not, especially with like the oscillates, not knowing what type of footage you were going to get. Um, but it is cool at least to know that there will, I mean, it makes sense for the time and money that you guys are going to spend in doing it. There is a plan to this. Yeah, and that's you know that's on the director. That's on yeah, Ben, right. uh, the DOP, director of photography, Skip, coming together and deciding, okay, these are the behaviors that we're going for. And off of that, let's make a plan off of when is it most likely, where is it most likely. We're talking seasons. We're talking places. Um, we're talking different entities that do different things, right? So there might be different entities that work on – Let's say bighorn sheep. Yeah. You know, someone might might work entirely on restoration, um, and we probably have a better shot with getting, let's say, a mating shot, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that goes into all the pre-production work that the DOP and the director work on, right? And then it's the cinematographer's job to then execute whatever is being put into place, right? So there's roles that everyone fills, um, and and we're also very lucky to, you know, Ben, if there's one thing that everyone has in common is everyone is willing to put in the work to make something happen. And if and when it doesn't happen, it's not a question of, oh, they didn't try enough or, oh, they didn't do. It's It's a question of, okay, so that's obviously not working. What can work? So what was a moment that didn't work in the film? Like a scene maybe you're trying to capture that was supposed to be in the film, but you couldn't get the footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, on, on, and yeah. jumping off that question too, what was the surprise of it where you didn't, you had a, you had a, an idea. Yeah. But you got something better. You got something that just yeah. weren't expecting. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll answer the, the, what you weren't expecting first question because that's a little easier. Because we did get pretty lucky on basically getting everything <laughs> we're going for. Um, <laughs> But as far as what we weren't expecting, I kind of mentioned with camera trapping, it's it's Christmas, you know? You never know what you're going to get. And it's heartbreaking as the bear coming through the mountain line sequence missing its leg. I was, gonna, I was wondering yeah. if that was it, yeah. Never had we imagined that was going to cross. But the importance that that shot had yeah. on the value of what the mountain line story was all about, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we... we, we, we couldn't have written anything. Yeah, better. so yeah. it's we, like you, you, y'all, you didn't hear a story about like a bear missing a leg, or no. you just you're out there knowing like we're trying to view this as the impact that these traps are having. Exactly, and you get this shot of a bear missing a leg because yeah. of these traps. And y'all didn't know the bear was missing. Y'all didn't know there Not was a, a bear out there that was missing a leg, and that was Not a clue. Yeah. I no. imagine that would have been like a huge, just like uh, like you said, it's as awful as it is that happened, but like it kind of hammers that point that you guys are trying to make in the exactly. film so much more because of that. Like that's, there's a few scenes in yeah. the, in the film that stick out and that is definitely one of them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you two guys. So what was, and I'll start, I'll give my answer first, but I was going to ask, what was y'all's favorite, like, scene or animal or whatever that was highlighted in the film? Um, I'll get, I'll get, I'll go first. Mine was the snakes at the uh, at the cave. <laughs> at the cave. Yeah. Was, have you been? I have Bracken not. Cave? I have not been to Bracken Cave. Guys, have y'all been? I've been to. I've never been to Bracken Cave. I've been to what Old Tunnel. Have uh, you been to Bracken Cave? I have not. I don't think I, 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 don't think I, I have. have. I've been to Carlsbad and seen the bats. Yeah, yeah I've been to Carlsbad times, as well, but I haven't oh, yeah. been to Bracken. But it's, it's different. Then. It's not even close, y'all. Y'all yeah. are in San are you, Antonio. Are you going to yeah. take us? Will you <laughs> take us? Come on, come yeah. on. If I have the time, but you, y'all are y'all are twenty minutes away. Yeah, yeah. You know, Actually, we probably we no, probably should. You and you could, are like really. twenty minutes away. Bracken Cave. For those of y'all who don't know, is the largest congregation of mammals on planet Earth. Period. 20 million bats coming out of that cave. That number doesn't comprehend until you see that tornado of bats just yeah. volumizing ab- above you. And then, of course, if you've seen the, f- the film, you know the spectacle that it is, right? Well, and yeah, there's, there's snakes eating birds that get stuck to cactuses because there's so many bats escaping that, like, the flight path is uncertain. And then you have raptors picking off bats as they're coming out. It's just like this whole you know huge I I it's crazy. I didn't come from a background. I didn't grow up fishing or hunting. Those are those are still relatively new to me in that I, I appreciate that and I've been so lucky to be on some pretty special trips uh, with that with that being the goal. But for me, above everything, it all starts whether you're hunting, you're fishing, you're camping, you're hiking, whatever it is, it all starts with being present outside. And 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 I don't I can't think of a better spectacle to just be in awe of and recognize how special it is that you are there to witness it. Because Bracken Cave, man, let me tell you, BCI, Bat Conservation International, has done such an amazing job protecting and valuing that place, and and it's there for the public, and it's uh, just such a show, really? such a show. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. Y'all should go. Yeah. 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 Heroes all excited to to, uh, park the car by uh, San Pedro and 410 and watch (laughs) that group of bats come out of the highway. Yeah. We've never seen that. It's pretty cool to see. But yeah, I can. I've done the one in Austin too, the the bridge. Yeah. 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 Which is cool. Which is cool. It is. But it's not that. It's not that. It's not that. And I can see that because the snakes and then the raptors and then all the bats. So how many days were you guys filming there? Or was it just like one night or one evening you guys got all of that bracken cave so so let me start with saying that skip hobby has probably filmed at bracken cave than any other cinematographer on earth like he is the go-to bracken guy and that might be wrong but i'm i i would bet money that that's right so he he is he's he's been called up by all sorts of entities from that geo bbc whoever it may be to to go film in bracken cave so he understood the special um, the unique opportunity to be able to sh- to show this uh, to the world, right? Um, and so he was able to convince the team really to invest a lot. A lot was invested into the Bracken Cave sequence, uh, and it, and I mean, <laughs> for those who haven't seen the film, it is a rowdy sequence. Yes, yeah. it no, it's yeah. a roller coaster. It's <laughs> yeah. going on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Roller coaster group, put it. So yeah. close to a month, you know, there was Skip, there was Ryan Ollinger, um, there was myself, Ben, uh, Shannon Vandiver, um, our producers going out there to capture stills, 
you know, a, a, the size of our team, you know, that was a relatively big, big uh, uh, investment as far as people goes. Um, yeah, there was a lot of time and energy. And so we would drive, drive up. So the office is in Austin. We drive up from Austin every evening because uh, it all kind of happens during, during the evening. And we would shoot what we could. And we're talking about storyboarding. Once we check something off, we move on to the next thing. For the most part, each shot that you saw was planned for. We know we wanted to get a slider shot of everything going up. We know we wanted to get a lock off of a snake coming through. We know we wanted to get a shallow depth, multiple kind of layers of, of, of a bat coming across the rock. Like things are planned for, you know, the director and the DOP and the editor have planned for the most part what this is going to be. And so we're, we're going off a checklist and it's so easy to get carried away and you see everything going on because it's such a spectacle and you want to shoot everything. Mm -hmm. But, but the beauty of being out there with such a large team was that everyone was able to be honed in on their shot, on their assignment, knowing that everything else is being covered. What was well, your assignment? Oh, we all trade off. So I did a lot of the kind of bigger slider stuff, slider moves. So anytime you saw a pan uh, via jib or a slide going up, um, that was most likely my sh and I a mean, slider is a rig that you get the camera on that gets the yeah the yeah clean right motion across yeah yeah or up yeah and then I did some of the long lensing but mostly the, like the really heavy duty long lens stuff was a DOP with Skip he had this badass camera called a Phantom where we put the long lens on which is a super slow mo bat uh, a, a slow mo uh, shot excuse me yeah camera um, I did some of the in cave stuff looking out. Um, I got shat on a lot. Uh, imagine that. Yeah. That's right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now I was to say mine mine was probably the the cougar stuff. I mean, there's so many so many points in that sequence where you're just like, is it gonna happen? Is it gonna happen? You know, and you're just you're just Oh, with the traps. Yeah, with yeah. the traps. Yeah. And you're yeah. just you're hanging on, on the end of your seat like it's like they're not gonna let this happen, but then again, it's part of the story of what's going on, you know, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 That one had me. A little stressed out. Yeah, one of the, so were those filmed on the box with the boxes too? Yeah, the t-shirts. Yeah. So, so I was talking. I was I was saying how we um, work with researchers and scientists all the time mm -hmm. to to get these shots, and with that, uh, with the mountain line sequence, we were lucky enough. Apart from working with these entities who do a lot out there uh, with the mountain lines, because all that was filmed in West Texas, we were able to get Michael Stengel, who was finishing up his masters, and he had done a ton of research. So this was his backyard. This was his bread and butter. So he knew the area pretty well, and he was able to come along and be part of the camera trapping team for that. Uh, so to have that expertise behind it really went a long ways. Yeah. yeah. Zach, what was yours? Uh, probably two. My favorite animal is a buffalo or a bison, right? Mm. And something I share with my students every year is I love talking about bison as a conservation mm. success story, right? I mean, like, the numbers they drop down to, and the fact that you guys opened with that, you focus on that, like, I don't know. I like It's near and dear to my heart talking about bison. Um, but I really like the alligator gar sequence. I think it's just so interesting. Mm. Every time we're on the river and you see a pile of them all <laughs> hung up there on the side on the bank, it's just it's a spectacle. And the, guy, the fact that you guys highlighted that and the, with the flooding and everything, too. I, I really appreciated all the fish, like the alligator oh, guard, yeah. the redfish, even and the, the Guadalupe, Guadalupe bass. bass. It's like the Guadalupe bass that. is like our fish. Right. Like yeah. It's what we talk about, you know, and uh, the fact that you guys like it's so important to Texas. And like, you know, 
I was concerned, like, oh, they're not going to do Redfish and Guadalupe Bass. If you go watch the film, boom, Redfish and Guadalupe Bass are there. And, like, um, I was so, pumped for that. Shout yeah. out to Shannon Vandiver for really pushing the Redfish um, as a sequence. He he was the one who really was excited about the whole thing. I'll be the first one to tell you I'm not a big coast guy, so, like, the, that, that world was uh, unfamiliar to me. But he was all about finding these bombs, right? The Redfish just going off. And, man, it was amazing yeah. <laughs> it was really amazing yeah like being there experience it was awesome and, and obviously it came across in the film it became a big drone sequence you yeah know? it was a lot of overhead shots yeah the whole yeah, pods of yeah. which which worked out great yeah um yeah really cool and then the bass sequence quick story from that so we worked with uh nick loveland who was a uh, shout out nick he was a um uh, tech at the uh, at the fishery that we were at, and after the uh, shooting, after after the shoot there, we I ended up taking a little bit of time. It was my first time off in a while uh, from filming, and I ended up having a lot of my friends from West Texas come meet out in the hill country, and we got an Airbnb, and we just went to different rivers around. We paddled around; it was awesome. Yeah. Um, but he's big fish guy, loves fishing, and I hit him up. I was like, "Hey, man." can we go to the headwaters of the Guad and, you know, you kind of show us around. Every every day was kind of a field trip, you yeah. know, an adult summer camp, if yeah. you will. <laughs> and through that, he met one of my best friends, Shelby Cox, awesome photographer. And from that experience, they met, they got married. I married them. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So deep in the heart, bringing, bringing people together, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. That, yeah. That's a good story. Yeah. Uh, how was the underwater filming? Yes. Were you involved in that at all? And oh, only in the river stuff. I did some yeah. of the like the bass stuff, right? Because that was pretty shallow. But like the deep underwater stuff, we we had we had the real pros come out for that. That was yeah. in like in the the reef area. And yeah. Stuff like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, Hayes Baxley, amazing cinematographer. He's worked on some massive projects around the world. Really, really, really top of the line guy. He was kind of our go to, and then Philippe D'Andrade as well helped a lot with the deep uh, the underwater stuff. Um. Yeah, yeah. The, the, those two but guys played a big role. Then for the the part that you were uh, part of, like with the rivers and stuff, you said it was pretty shallow. You just put in like underwater housing on your cameras. And yeah. So we we had underwater housing for for the reds or for the cannons where we were shooting with, and you know you can get a lot done with the snorkel and and some goggles and <laughs> getting out. yeah yeah you know surprisingly enough as long as you're not being just absurdly out of control. Fish do typically, you know, let let you get somewhat close. Yeah. yeah. One thing I wish, uh, I like the uh, big horns. Yeah. And I wish there was just like a little bit more footage. Yeah. Because uh, I I think it wasn't like a designated animal. I know there was like footage in there, mm-hmm. but I was mm-hmm. like, that's probably like my favorite Texas. Okay, that's a animal. that's another conservation because right because they were eliminated yeah. and they yeah. brought them in. Yeah. Right, to regrow the population. Correct, correct. Yeah. And with the bison, you were talking about, you know, being a great conservation story. What what a great feature on, on Texans, you know, giving a damn. And, yeah. and, and, and because of that, with, with the bighorn, we, you know, we were past it, right? We, we reintroduced them. With bison, it was a matter of, like, let's, let's save Not them let now. Not let this happen again. Yeah, yeah. let's yeah. save them now, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but, yeah, bighorn, 
fortunately will be part of future projects. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> You're getting me pumped, man. <laughs> yeah. A lot has happened since filming for the deep, for deep in the heart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Y'all kind of asked me what projects are happening. And again, I don't know what exactly I'm supposed to be talking. I'm just, a, I'm just a, a, a cinematographer. Right. So, uh, a lot of the stuff is over my head as far as the business and the, uh, um, uh, what's the word distribution part of it all goes, but, there's a lot cooking up. Gotcha. Do you, um, do you see yourself doing this? Like, is this your like path now? Yeah. Is filming wildlife? Yeah, I've I've gone all in. I've 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 got the debt to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I I never thought that this. I mean, I never imagined this would be the path I'd be taking. But I'm all in. I kind of talked to you guys beforehand how I've been so lucky to jumpstart this career of mine in, in the most the most lucky way in that I met all the right people. I got all the right opportunities. I, I've and, and I'm still figuring it out. Um, I also confided in y'all that I recently messed up a shoot and it was kind of the first time for me and how I think about if that was early on, like right off the bat, how detrimental that would have been. And, and, and a lot of it is domino effect. Like this doesn't work. And so you try this and then you, you decide to go a different path. And I recognize that I've been very lucky, very fortunate, very privileged, and I'm taking advantage of it all. Um, this last week was, was kind of a gut check. I don't want to get too, again, I don't know what, what I can or can't talk about. Um, and, you know, as much of a shot to the, to the pride, to the confidence that it is, I can take it on the chin and know that there is still things to come. Um, and if that was early on, yeah. man, I I wouldn't be here talking to y'all. I know that. I, I mean, you just talking about your life in general to get to this point. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's it is something that's fallen into your lap. So having a having a bad day, having this thing, you know, I'm looking forward for future projects that you've got going on. on yeah. this. So man, this is pretty good. Yeah, this fall should be exciting. There's a lot, yeah, yeah. This yeah. Fall, there should be a lot of things coming out this fall. Are there any um, kind of if it's okay, we switch um, rows a little bit. Are there any animals that you guys filmed that didn't end up in the in the documentary? Hmm. No, probably not. Because yeah. you say because there's so much planning that goes right. into yeah. shooting for the or yeah. getting this yeah. shot that yeah. you're like you you've storyboarded and put it all together. You right. know what you're going yeah. for. Yeah. Or, or even or more so, are there animals that future projects might be looking at doing if you can talk about it. yeah if yeah. you can talk about it. yeah or, or better yet if you could pick your top two or three yeah. that you would want yeah to that see. you would want to film yeah what two or three film. animals that, that you would want to film uh that didn't make deep in the heart let's say there is a deep in the heart too um and we're talking te texas based uh you know we we didn't hit some of the the one of one of the things people would say to me after watching the film is like, "Where's the armadillo? Where is um, like the prairie chicken? Where's a yeah? Where's was, a prairie, yeah, chicken? Yeah, prairie where chicken? Where the turtles? That was the one that stuck out to me because like yeah. that's such a prominent yeah. like where are the turtles? Planes. And if nothing else, it is proof on how much Texas has yeah. to offer. Yeah. We can only make the film so long, right? Right? Really? Yeah, yeah, and sandhill cranes, sandhill cranes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There, there is there are a number of things that. That we just didn't have the time to do, right. or time. Well, why are you budget. here? Go get this done. I <laughs> yeah. want to see it. Yeah. Well, for those for those listening, it took about a, a few weeks of re rescheduling to make this happen, and I'm and I'm sorry to keep on shooting around, but it's been busy. We've been busy trying oh, to yeah. make That's other awesome, films. Though. Yeah, 
I'm all good. Yeah. So are you, uh, do you hunt or fly fish or do anything like that? Gotten into any of that since? Yeah. yeah. Well, so I, uh, like I said, I, I didn't grow up hunting or fishing. And I, at this point in my life, have gone hunting and fishing. I, I don't identify as a hunter or a fisher, not to say I don't enjoy it, not to say that mm-hmm. I don't see the benefit behind it. Uh, I think one of the one of the biggest things is that I'm just not confident. Everything I've done so far has gone fine. And in my experience with, with river running is it doesn't matter how good you are when things are fine. It's when things go wrong, how prepared are you to, 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 to re-engineer whatever's happening? Yeah. And I haven't had the experience to fix things yet, right? And so... I don't ident- identify in, in those realms, not because I don't enjoy it, but mostly because I, I recognize I haven't had the time to put in to, to figure out how to fix things whenever they go wrong. Well, I would say, like, on the hunting app, just, like, hearing you talk about getting shots and, and doing that, and, like, probably for the bears and, you know, having to hike in glass, probably wearing camo mm-hmm. and getting close to animals to get, like, a video... You know, yeah. like so many of those skills translate over to hunting. If you can film, I, I guarantee if you can film a Guadalupe bass in the water, you can go catch one, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Just you, like, you probably have a better so, sense yeah, of where they're yeah, at than yeah. you probably have been in there. so much, like you have so much knowledge that applies to the main things yeah. that we talk about on the podcast. Um, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, one, one of my favorite types of filming is, is putting stocks animals right and which is obviously applied into hunting yeah. as well um but if you're talking about putting on a heavy pack and go up a mountain and putting on a proper sock and getting close enough to film which would equal getting close enough to hunt i i feel like that that you probably have to get closer yeah to i film. imagine yeah, it was like yeah. uh, on a bear shot how close are you guys how far away are y'all filming from a bear safe somewhat safe distance yeah a yeah. safe distance <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah a safe distance yeah. i'll say that yeah zach what else did you have uh well like, normally we've been following a flow these are just kind of be like random shotgun um are there any other cinematographers like wildlife cinematographers that influence you yeah i mean i keep on talking about the guys i work with right. i'm so Definitely. lucky i'm so lucky to work with these guys that i look up to right um yeah, so again, I'll just mention Skip Hobby, Shannon uh, Vandiver, of course, Ben Masters. Um, Ryan Ollinger came through about uh, like after the first third of filming, and he's he's actually the only non-Texan of the, of the team. So that was, it is what it is. But we love him, and he's awesome. Uh, and out, outside of that, I mean, you know, you have the people you, you're always going to look up to, like Paul Nicklin. I actually just met recently Bobby Neptune out of, out of Kenya. Um and I've, I, I've realized that the people I look up to, the people we follow on social media and this and that, at a certain point, they were just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Oh, I'm still figuring it out. Pro- yeah, yeah. Um, and I think one of my biggest benefits has been that I'm not embarrassed to admit that I'm just figuring it out. And I think a lot of times when you meet other cinematographers, not a lot of times, but there are certain people who won't admit that, like, don't want to show that, that we're, you know, we don't know exactly how to film this or that. We can learn about the animal. We can learn about behavior. We can talk to researchers and try to figure it out. But there is a certain sense of, you know, you've been doing this for so long, you should be able to do it type of thing. Uh, and I'm not there. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very open to, to just admitting, you know, I may not know how to do this, but I, I will sure as hell put in the time to figure it out. Figure it out. And actually that, that brings me up to my next question. How do you prepare for a shoot? Yeah. So a lot of it has to do with studying the animal. Yeah. You, you got to learn behavior. You got to learn the biology. You know, you, you put in the time with the, with the biologist doing all the research and, and you learn data, you learn um, different stats. But as far as being there in the moment, sometimes the most difficult shots can be a locked off shot of an animal preparing, preparing for the animal to come in and do what you think it's going to do. And you can't do and, and it seems so simple on screen. You know, you see a locked off shot and you see the animal come in and do exactly, and you, you think, wow, you know, that's awesome. You don't really, you don't recognize that it's a, that, that it's a locked off. You don't recognize that it entered the frame. You're just comprehending as, as an audience that it's happening and like, that's awesome. But that has to be predetermined when you're out there and you got to learn what the behavior is. So, you know, you're, you're reading up on it. You're learning about it. You're, and it can be from bats to the bison, to the bighorn sheep, to bears. Um, yeah, there takes a lot of research. Yeah, it takes yeah. a lot of research. And by locked off, you mean a set shot. Like you're, yeah, you're yeah. Not, so you're not panning with the animal. Exactly. You're on the focus point, focal point waiting for an animal to enter the exactly, shot. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You, you, you may see the animal already. You, you're on a long lens or, you know, even maybe not a long lens. But either way, you're ready for it. And you know you have an idea of what it, you think it should be doing, what do you want it to be done, whether it's – whether it's a bighorn sheep stopping stopping at a at a point and looking out stoically, you know, we love that shot. Everyone loves a stoic lookout <laughs> shot. But the planning that goes into <laughs> yeah, that shot exactly. is ridiculous. Exactly, exactly. Um, and learning that you know if it comes off its group and if it's the only male in the group, you know, it's probably going to lead the group and go on, on to a point, knowing that it's coming off a north face and heading to the south face and probably wants to be able to see at a point, like just having the different criteria of what it should be doing with certain things. Like you said, you, you beforehand, you have to know the animal. Correct. As far as like your research, you have to know yeah. what is normal behavior for the animal to do. That way you can set that shot. Right. And, and there may like, be normal behavior for an individual. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And which, which honestly is the most exciting part about filming wildlife is you start recognizing individual characteristics among animals. Like you have the science and the literature that says kind of encompasses, throws a big blanket over all the things. And then as soon as you get out there, you're like, well, that's just not right. <laughs> not yeah. That at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. How did you guys, uh, what did it take to get McC uh, Matthew McConaughey on board? And I just watched Interstellar last night, so I was like, oh, we're going to be talking about, maybe Zero. talking about him tomorrow. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, so a very small group of the team got to, got to speak with Matthew. Um, and I was not one of them. Uh, but I do know that he got on board with this um, via contacting the agent agent you know letting him know about the project but it was his choice to get on because it's texas you know it's a, he, it, loves he, loves, he, he loves he loves everything yeah about texas. he loves everything texas. he's a great and, and representer of I'll our say, state and it's also crazy with the amount of um what is it like ethos right or like the how much you like automatically like oh it's matthew mcconaughey so like it adds a level of credibility to mm -hmm. the film as well yes you know absolutely yeah, for sure. Definitely yeah. helps you guys went to like a wide theater release sort of thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, let's let's talk about the wide theater release because you were mentioning beforehand that you were to, or the crew was told that it couldn't be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so 
all credit to Ben for t- for taking for rolling the dice on it, and, and time and time again, it, you know, it hasn't been done. It has in the U.S. a a blue chip wildlife film for a niche market putting out into theaters as much as 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 you wanted. It, we wanted to be on platforms and this and that. It mattered to get an audience, a Texas audience, to watch it on the big screen. Right. And, and he took that chance and out of pocket, put up the money to. To have an independent theatrical release, which is a big deal in the film world. You know, it's one thing to make an independent film. It's a whole other thing to independently So you guys have to pay to have it distributed to theaters? Correct. Do you guys get back on ticket sales and things like that? Yeah, and I don't know how it breaks down. That's kind of interesting. I do know it worked out. I'll say that. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I went... Two weeks after release? Yeah, I went opening weekend, and it was was packed. My theater was packed. My theater was full. Yeah. It, It had... The numbers were the numbers were better than expected. Really? Okay, Good. that's that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And do you, you know, have do you have to work with like individual theaters to put a film in that theater, or did they have to like work with like Santicos, which is like the movie theaters around San Antonio? Yeah, Ben, Katie, Baldock, they they worked with uh, different distribution company or a distribution company, but also a um, basically people who who Get specialize in into theatrical release and working with theaters and and. Uh, I never got to personally really meet him, but I, I again, it worked out. Yeah. yeah, it was just in Texas, right? Not even Louisiana yeah. or Oklahoma correct. It was a theatrical release only in Texas. Yeah. One thing that I don't think people really knew, um, mainly because I don't know how much we really talked about, was that if it didn't do well that first week, it was not going to keep showing. Yeah, because there was like very. It was like, see it this week. It may not be maybe your last chance. And right. I think it went for like six weeks. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So so again, it did. Much better than expected. Yeah. Um, when I even saw something where, like, in Uvalde, y'all put the movie out there for free mm-hmm. for the town to go see. Like, did cool things like that. Right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't um, know. Awesome. Which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and now it's it's out on streaming services, you know, mm-hmm. iTunes, Amazon, Google. Now, did y'all ever consider, like, like a Netflix type release, like, on one of those platforms? Yeah. Like a subscription platform? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh... Basically, it came back, and, and, and again, this criticism that we were getting, Ben felt the grunt of it, and it was up to Ben to decide what was going to happen. Um, but time and time again, it, it, it became too much of a niche thing. And it is, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a very much Texas film. But the thought was, well, we watch films about China, we watch films about I watch Patagonia, Nat Geo yeah. right, wildlife right. films from other places. Right. Exactly, like a Yellowstone or like exactly. a Colorado yeah. focus. Yeah. Exactly. Like, why can't other people from other states yeah. watch a Texas centric? We're so diverse in our state, anyway. Yeah. That, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, we're all biased here, and we all <laughs> <laughs> we we, we yeah. feel a certain way about it. But but that was the thought behind it. Yeah. You know, and and again, they're they're the the road to the distribution and to the success the film has been having. And mind you, success is, in, in the world of Finn and Fur, one of the coolest things to work for Finn and Fur is that the things that we do matter in a realm of getting people to watch and give a damn about what is being shown, right? Yeah. Like, that is success, is getting eyes on the film and, and having people have some sort of takeaway. Maybe it's not, you know, all the facts. Maybe it's not the data, but at the very least, they know how they felt when they saw that bear come through with missing one leg, you know? And I, I noticed something this last week when I rewatched it. 
um, at the end when the credits roll, you guys put all of the different conservation groups uh, above the, yeah. the the video as the credits are rolling, like how you can get involved. If this was an issue that was important to you, this is who you can follow. This is who you can contact. Like I thought that was really neat. Call, I didn't notice yeah. that the first time. I mean, the call to action is, is real. Like yeah. th- There is as as dark as it can be at some points of the film it's not a a, it's not about making us feel bad about how things are it's about acknowledging how things are um and working from that right and and the call to action is real yeah and you guys do a great job of uh giving the highlights like some success stories but also like this is like part of it like when you guys mentioned especially with the uh the water issue you yeah. know like the actions austin and san antonio have taken to protect the water resource yeah. but also like there's more to be done and it is such a, a uh important part for wildlife yeah. and people like we've got to find this ground and one thing i appreciate too is i feel like so much now um hunters are the problem uh with a lot of conservation but in reality hunt like you guys point out that hunters are a big reason that wildlife conservation was started. And yes, there's more we can do. Like the mountain lion thing is still a problem and that's a call to action, but also realizing like hunters took an initial step because they cared about the wildlife and not blaming hunters as the problem for wildlife issues. Yeah. And 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 I see like that all the time. Maybe so maybe like it's a social media thing, but like hunting's the problem, you know, we shouldn't hunting should be banned and all this, that, and the other that's out there. And, like, I appreciate the honesty there of, like, uh, you know, hunters are responsible for a lot of conservation. But we still have – there's still ways that we need to go as far as mountain lions are doing different things. And uh, Yeah, I think, I think as dangerous as it is to, to make a blanket statement over an entire group, it's as dangerous to make a blanket defense on your group, right? Mm-hmm. right. So I, I think we can recognize, especially people who, are, who have some sort of insight on – fishing and hunting and and i'm by no means an expert but at the very least i've experienced it i you know people can recognize that there are different types of hunters there are different demographics there mm-hmm. are people different ethics there are people yeah and, and it doesn't come down to any in my opinion it doesn't come down to anything more than than a cultural insight on on how they came up in doing so doing those things right i think a lot of times we feel defensive whenever and it's not just with hunting, it's with anything. You know, you feel defensive whenever you hear a blanket statement, all of a sudden you include yourself in that blanket statement. As dangerous as it is, you know, to, to feel like you need to throw that out there, it's as uh, it's as dangerous to feel as you need to defend the whole thing. Because it's, it's not a matter of... I think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a matter of um, feeling attacked... Which is so hard, right? Because you know we all have. I have an ego. We all have an ego. Well, because I could, I could very easily see someone sitting here being all defensive, like, "Oh, I can hunt mountain lions. I can do whatever," um, because they feel like they're being attacked. But I think it takes a little bit of humility to sit here and think um, hunters have done a lot for conservation, um, but there are still issues that are a problem, right. and that we could be a part of that solution. Right. Right. And, and I and I think. I would even take another step and say, okay, if it's okay to hunt the lions and prove it, I'm not, I'm not going to say that you're lying. I, I, I want to say that let's get the science to say that it's okay to do so. And if the science says it's okay to do so, then okay. But how do you I, regulate it at that point? Well, the thing is, is there is no regulation. No, regulations. No, that's the no, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's, that's the question you have to ask. Like, if the science proves it, then at that point you have to put the regulation in place to actually back up the science. I'm sorry. Let, let, let me, let me, um, let me, 
let me be a li- little bit more clear. There is no science period on it on a statewide level. Okay. So all I'm saying is collect the science. Yeah. Period. Don't even regulate it yet. Just just have some info put out there and let's all get on board with, you know, putting it out there. Yeah. Out of no sense of trying to attack, trying to defend, trying to be offensive, just... Um, you know, a lot of times you hear, what's well, been working. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, okay, fair enough. Let's just make sure it's not broken. Right. Yeah, but until we do the research, it's, it's, we, I'll, can't, we can't determine if it's broken or not. I'll, t- I'll relate it to this. The American black bear. I won't ever hunt a bear. I just don't have it in me. But the numbers prove that there are enough um, enough black bears in fact black bears are thriving in certain places to have a management process behind that so if you're going to hunt a bear with that science behind it then okay right all right i get that yeah i mean i don't have to like it i just have to we all just have to agree with the science and i would and i've even uh on the last episode i think we talked about the alligator gar unregulated yeah yeah. Yeah. right i've killed an alligator gar. I ate it, but after learning more about gar and about that fish being a large female and how long it took to get to that point, I'll never do it again. Yeah. You know? And I do think that there needs to be some kind of regulation as opposed to like, you can just do whatever. And yeah. It's the same thing with lions in certain states. Yeah. You know, it's lions where they're regulated. There is hunting a lot. I'm not going to hunt a lion. Right. But again, I don't have to like it. And also, I'm not going to judge you for it. If the science is there, the science is there. Yeah. I'm not here to, yeah, I, I, I'm no one's dad, you know? Yeah. I, all, all I want is, is proof. Right. Or like in the States where you're hunting the bison and the buffalo, like at one point we hunted them almost to extinction. Right. But now they're coming back, you know, because yeah. of that regulation. Yeah. But hunters did cause that initial problem. Yeah. And then yeah. it has changed over time, you know? There is a, speaking of bison, there is, isn't there a bison population in Mexico? Do you know about that? I, I mean, I know there's ranches with bison in Mexico. Okay. But I, I, I don't I, know too much about it. Yeah. I, I do know there's ranches with, with bison in Mexico. Yeah. Especially around the Coahuila and the Chihuahua mm-hmm. area. But I, I don't know much about the, the wild population. Also, I have good friends who hunt bears, just, just to put that out there. <laughs> and, and I just, you know who you are. Still love you guys. There's no no there, there's nothing behind that other than yeah, there's okay, no animosity. There's, well, yeah, I, it's I, just I think like, you no. set it up. Well, you yeah. know, like I'm the I'm same way. Yeah. I'm on you know hunting fishing podcast and I hunt deer, but also I don't hunt predators. You know, if I go on somebody's land and there's a coyote, I won't shoot it. That's just me. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, my phone was going off. It was weird. Um, I, was weird. I was like, you got a million texts. I did in one because uh, my game camera just sent me a hundred notifications. Uh, oh, speaking nice. of like filming nice. wildlife, nice. Uh, what'd you get? Uh, it's I set it up to to watch Axis. Okay. Um, I don't want to go too much in the details, but I have. Uh, <laughs> Where's it located? I have. Uh, <laughs> I have uh, someone who's kindly letting me uh, hunt some access on their property oh, and I set up a game camera and apparently my game camera just downloaded every single photo probably from the last week um, and sent me a notification Nothing at one card- time. Cardinals and turkeys. <laughs> <running around. laughs> so works. when we get off the and podcast, we can take a look and see if there's anything there. there you go. My, my daughter had, she watched it with my wife. My wife's a second grade teacher. Um, my daughter's turning seven and going to be into second grade. And 
you know, she liked the bison. She she loved the owl stuff, the burrowing owls at the beginning of it. She's a big owl, owl thing. And she wrote some questions uh, as well as my wife. And throughout the podcast, we've already you've already answered. So thank you for doing those. One of the ones, and I don't know where this came from, but one of the ones that she asked was, what's been the most, like, dangerous area either in 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 this filming or other filming that you've done or situation or situation that you've been in to get this <laughs> i'm like okay i'll ask him dangerous um you know i think that's pretty relative you know right like th- sure. there, there, there's plenty of things where i'm just more comfortable with maybe whether it's like being off a you know ledge and walking around a cliffside um whether it's where I could see you well, saying that that's not dangerous for you because I feel like you're that type of person. Well, like, and, hey, and I'm like living you said, on the danger is relative because, right, right, there's a percentage of like, there's going to be so many, a certain percentage of people is going to be attacked by a bear right. at some point in their life. I don't remember what the number like, was. Realistically, the ticks are the most dangerous but, thing. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, tell a seven, you tell a seven-year-old that, a uh, that I was well, not yeah. a tick, but that you were around alligators, I'm sure she would be like, holy crap, no yeah. thanks. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but let's just say, let's just say the number was, and I'm just making this up, 1% of the population is going to have have a semi-dangerous bear encounter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is that 90% of the population is going to have a 0% chance of a bear encounter, and 10% of the population is going to have a higher percentage of a bear encounter. So it's like it's relative. Like you're out there with the bears or people that are hunting are way more likely to have that kind of encounter than somebody who's never been out of San Antonio. Yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah. I think, like you said, the danger is relative okay. to... So- so rephrasing the question, yeah. has there been any times where you had to go and check if you soiled your pants? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, or, or you got done with it, and, and it wasn't until a day later you were like, man. We, I'll tell you what, we were, in, you were, <laughs> we were in South Texas, and I was with Ben Masters and our friend Ethan, and we were checking some cameras and filming some stuff. And uh, let's see. I believe they were ahead of me and I, you know, South Texas is just deep brush and we're just making our way through all this stuff. And I hear them kind of jump around and running back my way. And, and, you know, I immediately thought, okay, snake, you know, they probably rattle. I was thinking rattlesnakes this whole time about danger. Exactly. Exactly. Crawling around in the brush. And so I'm making sure they're okay. And then I make my way around, um, some, some thick thorns. And then next thing I know, there's a rattlesnake right there. Now it didn't, it didn't necessarily do anything or it didn't jump or snipe at me or anything like that, but it's a rattlesnake when you're, you know, on your knees and your hands and it's Can't probably stand yeah, relatively close. And I quickly made my way back and, and it definitely, you know, I had to check my pants after that. But yeah. other than that, I, I, I don't feel as if I've had incredibly you know, near death experiences or anything. Yeah. I feel like you're a little extreme that that would be high fiving someone like yeah. almost got bit. was awesome. Yeah. Was cool. Yeah. Where, no, we where probably about, about two hours ago. I just saw Zach super glue his fingers to a fly. I didn't know how <laughs> I was going to handle he, it. He, I yeah. thought I we're like, going to have to cut your fingers off. Zach. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, this is the end of it. <laughs> it was like 127 hours all over again. It was like, that's it. He's cutting it off. That's He's it. cutting it that's off. Foam, foam frog well, no more. And I know too, uh, when I was in college as well, I was a river guide, a whitewater guide. Oh, cool. And I know, like, that kind of, like, trains you to be, like, you're in extreme situations almost all the time when you're yeah. doing that. And that kind of, like, helps. The more you put yourself yeah. in those, like, situations, the more calm you are in those situations. Yeah. Where'd you guide? Uh, on the Arkansas. Cool. For who? Uh, Noah's Ark. Nice. Nice. Yeah. 
So did fo- it for two summers. So nice. follow-up question on the other one. Zach also, and I'm not trying to, you know. Dang, put me on blast. I'm not trying to We're put putting him on Zach blast. on blast today. But l- being in that Marfa area and stuff, we do have a little bit of a, a, of a UFO Aliens? kind of alien yeah, type of yeah. issue going on. If you have any, one like, yeah, what, yeah, that's for sure, oh. Zach. I, 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 I'm weird. I, I'm not sleeping outside by myself. That's and just Martha. me. I did. I slept outside. Cue the Martha. button. Cue the button oh, yeah, before he tells us. Yeah. <laughs> so Do you have any type like, of... Yeah, what's your... Uh, alien encounters? Yeah. Is that what I, we're asking? No, <laughs> yes. I've never had alien encounters, but I'll tell you that the first time I ever saw Elon Musk's um, Wi-Fi satellite train, I don't know if y'all have ever oh, seen the it. the Link? Uh, Sudden, not Starlink. Starlink, Starlink. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a massive straight line of satellites just perfectly spaced amongst each other going in a perfect line across the sky and when you're used to seeing the night sky especially in west texas you know you see everything you see everything you see the milky way you see all the stars and it's so vibrant and all of a sudden you see this line just cutting the cutting the sky in half i i freaked out for a second i freaked, i was like what the hell is going on i do uh, it and then and yeah. yeah and then yeah. and then i i realized what it was um but yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's it's a massive just line across the sky. Really? Oh yeah. I didn't realize it. That's was, cool. Yeah. I didn't know you could see it. How was oh, filming yeah. the thunderstorms? I totally forgot to ask. Oh that my time. gosh! So so Thrash, Patrick Thrash, Ryan Ollinger, and myself traveled around Texas for the month of August, and I forget what year it was now. Um, and we we just chased storms, and that's it was awesome. the chasers. coolest thing. Yeah, it was the really coolest cool. thing. I mean, we had other pickup shots here and there, right. but our biggest thing was going around West Texas and other parts to to film these these, these storms. And it yeah. was all, West and then, Texas storms can get crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say that was one of the things. Like looking back on my business degree, I think if I did it over again, I would definitely do you know that type of science and going and doing the storm chasing. I think. I'd be pooping my pants the whole time, but I'd be loving every minute. It would be <laughs> yeah. so cool to go and oh, see yeah. those phenomena. And yeah, the yeah, time the, the time lapse stuff is funny because you you know when you shoot it, I'm doing it off of DSLRs. There, there's different ways you can do it. I, I do it off of DSLRs. You can also do it off the Reds, mm-hmm. and so it's one file. But off a of DSLR, you have you know your big picture file, and you have to shoot a m- bunch of them and yeah. you put them in. And so the post part of that can be a job. I did not give a damn. I was shooting those time lapses. Like, I mean, it's a lot of memory to be dumping. Yeah. And so we were sending all these out to the edit room. And I remember Ben calling me like, dude, what the hell? <laughs> like, this is way too much, way too big. And to this day, in fact, we were just in Utah this past week. And, and to this day, he was talking about how much he hates time lapses. Not doing them, but having to work with them. Yeah, just and, going just going through yeah. the all the different photos. And I reminded, I, I reminded him. That the very first shot and the very last shot of Deep in the Heart were, were time lapses <laughs> that we took that month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. How do you guys film the uh, night sky uh, rotation? Because those shots are always cool. To time lapse. Yeah. Yeah, time lapse. But to get all the light, like. Yeah, long exposure long time exposure lapse. Long exposure time lapse, yeah. 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 And probably out in way West Texas. Yeah, a lot of them like, are in West Texas, yeah. 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 Using like a couple second exposures? It depends on how fast of a lens you have. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. if you have a lens that lets in a lot of light, then maybe you don't need a long like a super long exposure. Yeah. But if, you know, a time lapse is as fast or as slow as you set it, right? Right, right. And so you want to leave enough time to for the for the photo to be taken, but also give it a gap of it 
not take in anything. Um, so it's it's a smooth right. transition because if you do it every couple minutes, yeah, it's, yeah, you're yeah, going to get I, a jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's there's uh, some math behind it. Yeah, but yeah. Time lapses. So, did you guys have any other questions? Uh, my only other one is, um, so what conservation issues are most important to you? Because obviously working with this, like you have to yeah. find a couple that you're like, oh, this is like what I'm most passionate about. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've been biased for a while now and, and the Rio Grande and water issues in Texas have, have really held a strong, strong hold for me. Um, water is something that we so often take for granted when you turn on the on the faucet but you know it, the reality is so many people talking in the conservation aspect of it, it is are talking about it in a matter of not if but when we run into the shortage or the lack of yeah. um we're already seeing it now like we're in a drought, drought. Yeah. right the yeah. quad where we fish isn't even flowing yeah 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 well not just that the, the edwards aquifer is like only a couple feet above like where we've never really been before yeah and and, and you know, there's a lot of conservation plans out there being set in a matter of a timeline that talks about, okay, when we use it all up, what are we going to do? Right. So it's it's not even being being a thought of, is it going to happen? It, it's a matter right. of, of when. Well, I know that's like with the Devil's River. That's what they're constantly talking about. Like when it hits this point, how is San Antonio going to get the water from the Devil's River? Yeah. You know? yeah. Or you've seen it now with like yeah. uh, the uh, Mead, Mead Lake. Yeah. Or Lake yeah. Mead, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, just for how low it is now. They're finding and, bodies. Yeah, some of the videos that that are coming out um, yeah. on you know from week to week. Yeah, and it's only going to exponentially go faster yeah. as they're as it losing. Less less. Yeah, as it gets yeah. less and less. Yeah, water water is a scary thing, and and you're right. You know, you t- look at the Colorado River Basin. It should it should be the example that we're going off of and recognizing that it's it's scary and and that there's so much. Uh, at stake when we're missing water, especially because water is, is, is something that people have literal stake on, right? There's different entities that own X amount of water, especially when you're talking about the Colorado River Basin. It, it, it is literally split up on how much water is owed to how many people, uh, whether you're talking about Native American tribes, whether you're talking about state to state, whether you're talking about cities. Um, it is divided up in, 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 in a manner of it's not even okay, it's fair for, or it makes sense for them to have this much or that much. It's just a matter of like, okay, we want to stake claim on this much. And then we can sell off the rest if we Well, have. I know some some parts of the West too, like, and if you don't use the water, then you lose it. Right. So there are farmers and stuff that are obligated to use their allotment. And if they don't use it, yeah. like the uh, next year, they, th- won't, get th- as they much. won't get as much. I mean, really? And I mean, so they like are wait, basically are using water so that way they don't lose it. Whereas they should be given the opportunity if they don't need the water, they had a lot of rain and it presents an opportunity to save water that they don't have to pull it from the from the river, but also won't lose that water in the future if they need it. You don't even have to go that far. You look at the Rio Grande along the border here. IBWC, International Boundary Water Commission, is the regulating entity of the Rio Grande. And there are certain instances where Mexico owes Texas X amount, Texas owes Mexico X amount. And as long as they meet that quota by five years, ten years, Everything's everything's fine according to the regulation and the treaty or in in, in the um, obligations. Doesn't mean that there has to be a constant release, a constant flow, a a regulated flow. All it means is that those ten years come up. Okay, we got to let them have everything that we didn't give them, and then the next five years is, is five years of drought until they 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 replenish what they have. It's a it's a it's a system all completely being put into place over stake 
of water rather than regulating the uh, health of the river, which is a dangerous play, a game to play. Is there a good fishing on the Rio? Well, it, if you go below uh, Lake Amistad, I do know people go out there to fish a good bit, but as far as like up river from that, I, I was thinking like Big Ben. I'm like, can I fish Big Ben? Like, surely there's like catfish. I've seen, or, I've seen, I've seen people or like fly fish for catfish or oh, like really? Gasper yeah. goo. Yeah. No, uh, uh, the freshwater drum. There's no freshwater no, drum up I, there. I've, I've, I've never seen or come across or heard of anyone catfish gar. Um, I don't. I, it, it's not the most attractive fishing in the big yeah. one. I'll say that. <laughs> but below Lake Amistad, I do know they have uh, um, some good fishing. I, I couldn't really tell you, uh, you know, everything out there. But that's. that's and then, did you part. river guide on? Uh, the Rio Grande is that yeah. what it sounds like? Yeah, 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 yeah the Big Ben. So you yeah. went through the canyons and yeah, uh, yeah. I yeah. want to do that Man, sometime. It's it's amazing. Like I said, 191 miles of wild and scenic, and about 260 miles to your disposal. And so you can get lost for a day. You can go out there for two weeks straight and not see anybody. Yeah. yeah my girlfriend and I, Anna and I, uh, earlier this year we did a seven day Lower Canyon trip, and so that is arguably the the wildest place in Texas. So it's just east of the national park. Um, you put in on, on this private property that, that, that allows you to go in and out. But it's an 83-mile section, uh, basically towards the end of the Wild Scenic section of the Rio Grande and the Big Bend. And, I mean, the canyons and the river and the springs that are coming out. You're, you come across hot springs. You come across rapids. You come across these 2,000-foot tall wall canyons. And we saw nobody for seven days. It was amazing. Is it uh is it crazy what any crazy white water in there or is it pretty tame? It's pretty tame, but I tell you what, a tamed river in a canoe yeah. can be pretty intimidating yeah. uh relative to that of like, you know, maybe a class 2 class 3 on a rapid. Yeah. Uh, cuz a class 2 class 3 in a canoe all of a sudden I'm I'm sorry, class 2 class 3 on a raft relative to that on a canoe cuz on a canoe all of a sudden it, it's a whole different ball game. Changes. <laughs> Could you float it in a raft? At certain water flows, yeah. yeah. So high water season is typically late summer, early fall. Uh, so you're talking about now till about October. And, and if Mexico gets enough rain, because we get 99.9% of the, of the water that comes into the Big Bang comes from the Rio Conchos, a river that comes from northern Mexico. Basically from, from just outside El Paso to Presidio, Texas, the Rio Grande is typically a ditch in the ground. It doesn't mean that rains can't affect it differently um, and different monsoons can uh, affect it differently, but typically that's kind of how it works out. And so we depend on Mexico almost completely for our water flow there in the Big Bend. And whenever they have a really heavy water, uh, uh, high water season, that means we have the next few months of high water. Um, and so, yeah, you can you can, you can float the, the river there during, or in the raft during that time. Yeah. I have a raft, so. Nice. What you got? Yeah, I have a Air Super Puma. Wow, nice. Yeah, it's got a fishing frame on yeah. it. Yeah. Dope. Um, with oars and. Nice. Take that down the river. Because it's pretty comfortable. Yeah. You It'd be it. more comfortable than a canoe, for sure. I'm assuming you got it. You got it. Well, I love my canoe. But I'm assuming you got uh, you got it for the rivers in the whole country. Is it like a 12-foot, 14-foot? It's a 12-foot. Yeah. And uh, it's for fish and fly fish in the whole country. I go up to the South Lano all the time and do the Upper Guad. So there's no water right now, nice, so nice. is is it is it self bailing? It is self bailing. Okay. That's a requirement for me because I also have access to a boat that is not self bailing. Okay, and yeah, usually those bucket boats during low water, you know, sit a little bit higher, and that's yeah. they do. But then like the type of fishing, like get out of the boat, 
or even if you have to push off something, like even if you just have to get out a couple times maybe to move around something or because there's a shelf you have to push over because of flow, even at higher flows, there's spots on the upper quad where you have to move it over a dam or yeah. something like that. When you get back in the boat, you're pulling water into the boat. Right. And just like that process throughout the day adds a lot of weight. And then you have to like get the water out and it just becomes like a big problem. I'd just rather straight yeah. deal with a self-bailing boat mm-hmm. than deal with deal with that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Sweet. Thanks for coming. Oh, so I'll end on this question. What is uh, the big project? Like, what is a project that you want to work on? Like, wildlife, maybe not in Texas, maybe somewhere else, but, like, a wildlife scene that you want to film, like, in some point in your life. I would love to cover jaguars in Guatemala. So my family's from Guatemala. Um, I've recently been super lucky to work on a project on jaguars in Mexico, and we'll continue to do some uh, jaguar work in Mexico. Um but I kind of want to come full circle. You know, I'm, I've, I've talked about how lucky I am to do what I'm doing. And I would, uh, for, for, for a number of, of a bit more personal reasons, I would, I would really like to cover Jaguars in, uh, in Guatemala. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Man, thanks for coming on. This was yeah. great. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've, I know I've been counting down for this one for a while. And I know listeners probably are too. So. Yeah. Thank you all. So, again, sorry it took a little bit, but we made it happen. No, this worked You're out here. Great. Yeah. 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 Works, we made right? it work. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Yeah. Cool, Sometimes, awesome. like filming wildlife, it takes a couple attempts. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Look in the description below to find links to our website, online store, YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Discord server, and blog. Please send your podcast questions and inquiries to info at honeyholeangling.com. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you again next week.